They tried to stop my shine, but I said, hold up. Y'all know how many hoes done tried to hold this hoe up. Talk to music. These bitches tighten they lips. I'm unredacted, sis. These bitches holding they tongue. I'm unredacted, son. Ha! Got what you want, got what you need. Got what you want, got what you need. Hey, 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 y'all, hey, y'all. What's going on? What's good? It's your boy Craig with the good old Craig's Pop Life Podcast, a black gay excursion into pop culture. But you know where you are because it's where you're at. I'm your host, Craig Seymour. You know me. Been writing about music for about 20 years now. You can catch a bitch archive at rmbeing.com. Um, I'm also the author of three books. Uh, the biography, Luther, the Life and Longing of Luther Vandross. Shout out to the R&B legend whose birthday is on April 20th. So, you know, for the Luther fan in your life, for yourself, you know, maybe you read it. Maybe you need to update yourself. You know, you can check it out on paperback. You can check it out on ebook. You can even check it out on audiobook. And it's not read by me, so you won't have to listen to me any more than you need to. Um, it's by somebody else because I wanted it to go down real nice and smooth, like like a like you listening to the Quiet Storm or something. So it ain't read by me. But um, anyway, you should check that out and you know get yourself a good loot to play playlist for April twentieth and everything. Um, and then you can check out my memoir about being a stripper hoe in grad school. Um, a little something called All I Could Bear: My Life in the Strip Clubs of Gay Washington D.C my hometown. And then you can also check out my novel, Who's Your Daddy? About three generations of gay men looking for love. And if you got a little patience on you, you can check out my upcoming special, A Critical Meditation on the Life and Artistry of Janet Jackson, which I will get back to editing as soon as I finish this podcast. You know, I mean, I know it's taking me a little bit longer than I thought, but, you know, it's got to be right. And so it's just, it's whatever. But y'all going to get it soon. I think y'all going to like it. So, you know, it is what it is. But um, so what's going on? I'm finally back home. I was gone from home for almost two weeks. Um, You know, it seems like I've been all up and through. I've been through Baltimore. Um, You know, I think I told you about that last week where I was talking to a class. Um, Been up and through South Carolina. Ran through Georgia right quick and um, all on my way to, well, not all on my way, but I ultimately went to Montgomery, Alabama. Always wanted to, ever since the um, lynching um, memorial, that's not the technical term. The technical is, um, what's it called? I don't want to mess it. Now that I made a point of it, the National Memorial for Peace and Justice. But I always wanted to go to it. So um, I just had an opportunity to go to Montgomery. It's not like you always find yourself in Montgomery. So um, I went. Um, I can't necessarily, I've never been to Alabama before. I can't necessarily say that I'm, you know, in a rush to go back, but I wanted to go for the historical purposes. And for that, you know, it definitely delivered. Um, First up, I hit the Rosa Parks Museum. And unfortunately, I was running late. Like I was trying to 
do and it's kind of confusing there's like two parts to it and all that kind of stuff but um i went there um one day and i thought they did a really good job of contextualizing her life within the context of the montgomery bus boycott and you know recognizing some of the other folks who were arrested before her and i mean i think when it comes to rosa Parks, she's just one of those figures that i think i mean sometimes when we lionize people when we make people icons and sort of, we sort of um, reduce their work to one thing. Like we think, oh, Rosa Parks, Parks wouldn't move from the bus and everything like that. But, um, you know, the more I learn about Rosa Parks, just there's so, um, and I'm not just talking about the pancake recipe that came up um, not that long ago where she puts the peanut butter in the pancakes. I still want to try that. But anyway, um, and she wrote it on the back of the envelope. And anybody that grew up like with grandmamas like mine, you know, you know how people, they would not waste a piece of paper. If a good envelope could be used to write something down, then it's going to be used. But that's neither here nor there. But, um, you know, just learning about all the other stuff that she did, like how she, um, as the as secretary of the NAACP, she really did a lot for um, trying to research um, things and help women who were victims of um, racially motivated sexual violence, like Reese Taylor, who Oprah discussed um in her Golden Globe speech, you know, that made all the white people go crazy. You know, it just it drives me nuts when people are surprised by black excellence. It's like Oprah has been talking since she was a little girl in church and made her whole career talking. So while y'all wilding after she just gives one speech. But anyway, she mentioned Reese Taylor and Reese Taylor was one of the pe- women that Rosa Parks helped. Um, so, and there's a lot about her. Um, I think I've recommended this book before, but I do recommend this book. Um, there's some a lot about her in Rebecca Traster's Good and Mad, The Revolutionary Power of Women's Anger. It's just a fantastic book. Um, I definitely recommend you check that out. And then I have another book that's on my reading list that um, also deals with her. So if y'all have read it or maybe we should start a book club or something or whatever, but it's definitely on my list. It's called At the Dark End of the Street. Black Women, Rape, and Resistance, A New History of the Civil Rights Movement from Rosa Parks to the Rise of Black Power by Danielle McGuire. And it ain't a new book or anything like that, but it's just, um, it's an important book, so I definitely want to get around to it. So that's on the reading list. Um, I'm currently reading something that's really fu- a really funny memoir called um, What Doesn't Kill You Makes You Blacker by Damon Young. He's an editor over at The Root, and he's also the co-founder of Very Smart Brothers. I don't know if you've ever, um, you know, checked out that site, but it's really, really funny and very thought-provoking. So I'll tell y'all more about it when I um, finish it, but I'm really enjoying it so far. That was one of the things I was reading on my travels. So, um, so again, so, okay, so the day after the Rosa Parks Museum, that's when I went to um, was often referred to as the lynching memorial, but is actually the National Memorial for Peace and Justice. And I mean, I can't even overstate, you know, sometimes like the word moving is kind of reductionistic because it's just used so much. But, um, you know, just as a black person, whenever I'm in a space that is either um, being used as a tribute to some of the struggles of black people or as an actual site of um you know like a, a like a you know auction site you see that a lot in like south carolina like charleston and stuff like that just that feeling of kind of like you know i know just the anger at the situation but then also kind of just seeing yourself in the situation and just knowing that it definitely is something that 
your ancestors had to deal with. You know, like there's no question of the fact that like when I go to um, one of the, you know, kind of slave auction spaces in Charleston, some of my peoples came in through a place like that. You know what I mean? And when you think of something like lynching, you know, whether or not anybody in my background or something um, actually had that, you know, actually was murdered like that. It's just that, I mean, living with the fear of hanging from a tree and just like living in in like a small town where white folks are having picnics and stuff and chopping off people's body parts as somebody's hanging. And like you have to like not only experience the trauma of that, but also know that the white people that you're dealing with on a daily, on the daily, like the white shopkeeper and all that kind of stuff, these are people that ha- were taking part in this horrific thing. So you know, again, I just think, you know, I just think it's impossible as a black person to not just feel like a rush of just different types of emotions and feelings um, in a space like that. And like I said, I don't think moving encapsulates it. You know, it's just, um, I don't know. But basically what's so sort of haunting about it is you walk through and there are these big um, sort of steel slabs hanging from the ceiling, you know, obviously, um, you know, hanging for a reason. And each one of them has like a given count, a given state and a county. And then it has the names of um, lynching victims of that state and the county, of that um, county in that state. So you're just walking through and a man, like you're just seeing names after names and place after place after place. And it's just... You know, you just, I mean, just the, um, I mean, you talk about terrorism, you know, like just the racial violence and just seeing how many people were affected. And then after you see the hanging slabs, um, they're identical copies of the slabs, then lying flat on the ground, kind of coffin-like. So you really just get the whole experience of like, you know, I mean, it's just horrific, you know, thinking of somebody being hung and then like maybe their aunt, their relatives or something then have to cut them down and then give them bear. I mean, it's, it's just it's just too much to even think about sometimes. But, um, you know, I was really um, struck by I, I just had this weird experience in that one of the um, one of the people, the, the um, lynching victims that was moralized was named Alan Seymour. And. The thing that really kind of shook me about that is that my my middle name is Alan. My name is Craig Alan Seymour, and it's not I, I'm, it's my father's name. It's a family name, so the name you know has some roots, some history of which I don't know. And unfortunately, my grandmother has passed. I never knew my biological grandfather. Um, but um, so anyway, so but but the thing that's interesting to me is that my middle name is spelled A L L E N, and I know that's not that uncommon, but Growing up and stuff, I would always have to spell it for people. People would always get it wrong. So, it, you know, so something about that having the same spelling, A-L-E-N, just kind of struck me. And then um, my last name is spelled S-E-Y-M-O-U-R. And people are always fucking that up. People are always trying to do S-E-Y-M-O-R-E or some such, you know. So just this name, it just really, I was just like, whoa. You know, I mean, already in a feeling of like, an empathetic feeling of putting myself in the place of living in that time where lynching was such a, um, you know, such a constant threat, but then seeing a name that was so similar to mine. So 
you know, of course, I took a picture of it because I just to remember it and everything. And um, I put it on social media, just whatever. But a lot of people got it mis, you know, got it misconstrued and thinking that I that was somebody that I knew was a relative of mine, and I was, and that wasn't the case. Although when people asked, "Are you related to this person?" I really couldn't say I wasn't either because you know that's just life as a black person in you know as a um, as a American descendant of slaves, you know, it's that we, our history, our family histories have holes in them. So I don't know, but it was just a weird coincidence to me. And it just really, um, I don't know. Like it just, it's just one of those, just one of those, I, I can't put it in words, you know, but it was just a feeling and um, a memory that will never leave me. So that was my Montgomery experience. And I definitely, um, would recommend you taking the time to go to make your way. I don't know where y'all be going that you pass through Alabama, but um, you know, if you do, I definitely think that you should make the time to go to the National Memorial for Peace and Justice. And actually, it would be a cute day trip, you know, because there's not much going on in Montgomery. I'm not gonna lie to y'all, you know. So there's really no reason. There's no reason to even stay overnight. But if you could like get a cute flight in. And, you know, go to the memorial, maybe maybe take, you know, your family, maybe make it a family trip. Maybe I'll drive, maybe I'll fly into Atlanta and drive or something like that, whatever. And then just go to the memorial and then, you know, you go out and then you leave, you know, in time to eat dinner at someplace halfway decent. you know. But I think it's definitely worth it. And um, I'm really glad that I went. So that's what I did last weekend. And of course, then I thought there were all sorts of things that I was going to want to talk about this week, like Ariana Grande's little Coachella performance and um, or the movie Guava Island. Did y'all watch that? With Donald Glover and Rihanna, they are in a relationship, and their relationship is really cute. They really have this cute chemistry, and I I enjoyed it. Some people were, I thought, a little bit extra critical of it, but I really, really enjoyed it, and you should definitely check that out if you got the good Amazon Prime, as I know a lot of you all probably do. Um... But, of course, nobody wants to hear about any of that stuff now. You know, nobody wants to hear about anything but Beyonce's homecoming, of course, the movie, and the, um, the, the album. And, you know, that's all I'm going to talk about, because basically that covers all my pop culture bases, right? Because it's, it's music. It's film, because it's a film, but it's also TV, because you watch it on the Netflix, and then there have been enough think pieces about it to make up a damn book, so it's almost like a book, too. So, you know, and I was one of those folks that, you know, last year, around 3 a.m., when the original performance took place, you know, I was there watch with my computer, watching it live, you know, praying, Lord, Lord, please don't let my stream freeze, please don't let it freeze, you know, and I may have had to refresh a couple of times, but in general, you know, I got the whole thing and it was just um, such a powerful, form, powerful performance like nothing I've ever seen before. Um, never witnessed such a sort of celebration of blackness in that way, in such a... Um, in such a large way for such a large audience. So, I, you know, like everybody else, there's nothing unique about my experience of seeing Beachella the first time, but I definitely shared that um, sense of awe that a lot of people felt when they first saw it. So there I was again in front of my Netflix, what was it, Tuesday night, you know, or Wednesday morning, 3 a.m., refreshing my Netflix, refreshing and refreshing. And, you know, at first it wasn't out at exactly 3 a.m., so I was tight. Like, I was like, I did not stay up this late. Y'all better get this thing together. 
But after a couple of, you know, good refreshes, I think it came up like around 3.05. So I was cool. And, you know, I mean, I knew, I mean, it's a Beyonce thing. But how was it not? I'm not going to like it. You know what I mean? Like I expected to like I expected to love it. Um, and I've been all prepared, child. I watched my um Life is But a Dream beforehand. And you know, it was so interesting, right? Watching um Life is But a Dream again. Cause I remember being so I mean, I've watched this thing, I've watched the that documentary just dozens of times, but I have not watched it probably in the last year or two. And that film kind of documents Beyonce transitioning from being kind of a mainstream, you know. R&B pop star to becoming an artist where she really wasn't thinking about the charts. She wasn't thinking about radio and thinking about anything, but it's like she has moved so far from that point. I mean, that was before self-titled, that was before Lemonade, before Beachella. So it was really wild to watch that and think like that that was such a big deal and such a revolutionary move at the time because she really, that, that has turned out to just be like, that's just the runway, you know what I mean? She hadn't even taken off yet at that point. So that was that was really kind of an interesting experience. But anyway, so like I said, I had done my research. I was ready. Um, and I didn't really think I could be taken by the performance as much as the first time I've seen it. Because I have watched Peachella several times. I have the bootleg, you know, I've watched it um, kind of on the regular. But um, I was just blown away. I mean, I was really blown away by the editing of the two performances. I mean, that was really a nice thought out thing in advance because all of us who had seen them yellow outfits to death, we could now see, have the fuchsia experience. You know what I mean? And that was just great. And I, you know, I might even say like in terms of film or whatever, like I, I kind of liked the fuchsia a little bit better, maybe, you know, um, I definitely liked her hair better, like pulled off, off her face. Um, you know, I thought that was really fierce. So all of that was, again, I don't really have anything unique to say, um, about that. And of course I love the documentary parts and all that kind of stuff. Um, Moving on to the album, you know, so many people are like, oh, Beyonce dropped an album, Beyonce dropped it um, the next day, Beyonce dropped a new album. I'm looking, I'm thinking I'm getting a whole new album, the way people were talking about it. Now, I love the fact that I finally get a nice copy of the, um, of Beachella. Like, I, I'm overwhelmed, but I just thought people were doing a little bit too much talking about uh, I, I just wish they had just said she unexpectedly dropped the live version of Beachella because I was I was like shit you know she's doing the most but um but you know it's great because I can finally delete all the bootleg little half ass low quality MP3s I've been listening to all year um nice not trying to have to mix my own version you know sometimes I'd be like. Like, if I'm on a run or something, I'll be playing Everybody Mad and then real quick play Diva, you know, hoping I can get that experience. So it'll be nice not having to piece together that on my own. Um, I can finally delete my SoundCloud download of I've Been On for, what, like, how long? I mean, what, five, six years ago or whatever, you know, finally can delete that. Um, and, of course, how brilliant of it was her to cover Before I Let Go. And then to incorporate the candy beat. Like, she just wants to own, I mean, between that and the extended mix of Get Me Body, she got every black function on lock. Like, you don't even need to, I mean, as long as you have a, you know, 
whatever on your phone or something, as long as you have the Homecoming Live album, you basically can have people straight for a whole black event. You know, you have the whole shit covered. So I just thought that was really um, incredible. Sidebar, though, did y'all, just because everybody's making such a big deal about, I mean, and, and the big a big deal should be made about B's cover of Before I Let Go. But did y'all know that Mary J. Blige did a cover of Before I Let Go? Um, you should definitely, it's, you know, it's, it's much more laid back, much more toward the original, you know. But, I mean, Mary J. does a good job, so that's definitely worth, you know, putting it in your little Spotify or like me, put it in on your title because I support black businesses, you know, and looking up Mary J. Blige's version of Before I Let Go, because she does a good job too. But again, Beyonce just takes it to a whole nother level with the candy beat and then the new lyrics toward the end and everything. So, you know, it's no contest, but not that there would ever be a contest anyway. But, you know, like I said, um, as you're listening to Before I Let Goes, you might want to give Mary's a spin too. Um, but you know, I just think I just think it's really incredible for her to have created something that just encapsulates her whole career when she's really at a peak. I'm not saying it is her peak. I'm not saying she's not going to have additional peaks, but as a man of a particular age, you know, I know good and well that you know, 50 ain't 40, 40 ain't 30, and 30 damn sure ain't 20. So it's like there is a certain point when you're at your peak of athleticism. Like any athlete knows that, you know what I mean? So that's not – so just for her to be able to see at, you know, at that peak kind of performance and just to have – um, you know, it's like it's, – it's almost like a – it's almost like a time capsule. I mean, at any point, you can just take this and if people say, oh, why was Beyonce such a great performer? Here watch this and talk to me in about two hours and 17 minutes. Talk to me then. You know what I mean? And I just thought that that was so amazing. It's something I wish more performers had actually, um, you know, cause there's so much more than just watching a tour that was, um, related to an album. Like, you know, you get this era tour, then you get that era tour with homecoming. It's like, you get her sort of looking back on her entire career, but through the lens of um, this, you know, putting her performances through the lens of the black um, performance tradition of forged by black um, sororities and fraternities. And, you know, this can't really be just, I mean, um, I think people don't, I think people talk about it like that she's given, you know, that she's paying homage to HBCUs and, and, um, and everything like that. And she's definitely doing that, but I think people miss how integral HBCUs are to the African-American historical experience. Like, it's one thing now to decide, oh, I'm going to go to Spelman or Morehouse or Howard or wherever you're going to go. But when you take it back, it's not really a choice because you wasn't going to Harvard or wherever. You, was, you wasn't going there. You know, most black people were educated at HBCUs because those are the only places that they could get in. You know, that was for us. Um, so I think it's really important to look at that because um, sometimes it can even be a weird thing where, like, if you were part of it, if you went to an HBCU and you pledged, like, a fraternity or sorority, like, you feel a little different from other people that didn't necessarily have that experience and all that kind of stuff. But I think it's important to realize that the... Um, the core of that experience is something that affects um, all African-American people because um, 
you know, if you trace it back, and you know, a bitch does his research because, like, you know, I, I don't got the PhD for nothing. I'm paying these student loan bills. I might as well, you know, Google Scholar some things and look some shit up. Um, you know, one thing I just thought was really interesting, I came across this, you know, just the whole back to Africaness of it all, is that some people have traced um, the whole act of playing an instrument while simultaneously dancing back to Europe of funeral processions, like back to the 13th century and shit. So just that whole move has that whole, you know, back to Africa type situation as many of our traditions do, you know, even the way I speak in some um, sense, you know, you can trace back um, African-American vernacular English, certain um, use of the verb tenses and certain things like that. You can take that back to certain West African languages. So whatever, but that's, you know, so it's us and that's there. And um, in terms of this country's history, and this is some shit I did not know, so I'm telling y'all that I researched this stuff specifically when I was looking, actually I did it last year when I was just trying to find some just um, context about Beachella last year and just understanding the importance of sort of the marching band tradition. But like, I didn't realize like during colonial times, black men were forced to serve in the militia, but they ain't trust us with no guns and shit. So we had musical instruments. So that was kind of the introduction to musical instruments that a lot of black men had is through the army. And then around the time of um, the war of 1812, Black regiments were called the United States Colored Troops. Okay, so there were different colored troops, and each one had a band. So again, more people serving, more people learning musicianship through the military. Um, and then over time, like there was this one, um, you know, they all had like different names with the troops and stuff. And there was this one, um, one troop with their band was called the Harlem Hellfighters and they even performed in Paris. So it's like they were getting international acclaim and taking it back home. A lot of times the bands for the troops would march through towns in order to recruit new people to the military. And the reason that's so significant historically is that you're talking about a time when the city streets, you know, those were ruled by white folks. And the movements of black folks, especially black folks congregating and shit, like in mass, you know, those things were um, very much policed by white people and black folks, like I said, in mass, I mean, you know, a couple of black folks together still make people nervous. So it's like that was very much under surveillance. But during parades where these black marching bands, um, you know, would would perform, they could occupy public space in a way that black people could not under normal circumstances. So I thought that was very significant too. If you And especially if you think of like the marching bands back in the day occupying this white space and then Beyonce with Beachella taking this, um, her version of black, black um, her version of a marching band, her drum line and putting that in Coachella, which is such a, especially the main stage of Coachella, which is such a traditionally white white space. And then she, as she acknowledges, you know, she's the first African-American woman to headline Coachella and ain't that a bitch about a bitch. You know what I mean? So that whole idea of using music and using a marching band to occupy white space is sort of um, on a continuum with what was going on back in the day. And, you know, and, and then the other thing is that, okay, so so many 
black people, black men, you know, let's be real, in the military were trained as musicians as a part of the military. So then a lot of times when they got out of the military, they would go to HBCUs because that was the only place they could teach and they would teach music. So, and they would bring with them that marching band tradition. So you just have generations upon generations, you know, teaching this tradition and that is, you know, the tradition that ultimately leads us to be cella. And that's why I said it affects, it's about all of us. It's not just about those of us who went to HBCUs. Um, it really does affect and, um, yeah, affect and influence the entire African-American um, experience. So anyway, I just thought that was important to add to the conversation because other than that, I really don't have anything else to say, but that it was, you know, that I loved it as much as everybody else loves it. And I think it's as important as everybody else thinks is important. And um, I don't want y'all to waste any more time listening to me when you could be watching or listening to the album. Um, I'm probably at about, I think I'm about, I'm about two times have listened to the album. And then I'm about two and a half times have listened to, have watched um, Homecoming. And damn, it just came out yesterday. But anyway, (laughs) That's life. But yeah, I've watched it about two and a half times now. So anyway. Um, so in closing, um, thank you for riding with me for another week. Um, please don't forget to subscribe and to tell a friend. And until next week, you know what it is. Be cool. Be kind. Be creative. And in the words of my fave. Be your damn self. <laughs> all right. Love y'all. Bye.